So kind. I can't believe I asked the great Dr. Tennyson to get my pulpit. He's so kind. I'll get your pulpit anytime, any place. Hey, man, great to see everybody here on this uh, Wednesday here in the month of April. Right? We're in April. Yet? Yeah, yeah, it is April. Anybody lose track of time uh, besides me? Um, so good to see everybody. I want to share a brand new uh, teaching. Uh, it's a portion of scripture I've always been fascinated with. It's verses that I've been fascinated with, but I've never really organized these verses into a, a stream of thinking till today. So this is not a, you know, blow the dust off something. I've actually never shared this in this context before. So go to First Chronicles chapter 12. First Chronicles chapter 12. People ask me, when did you become a leader? When did you start leading? When did you become a leader? And I, I kind of feel like David, uh, I don't know uh, when that actually began. Uh, people start saying things, which was kind of a, a directional thing for my life when I was younger. I started feeling an inclination uh, to uh, be aware of the world that was around me, not just the world inside of me. And, but when did that happen? I don't know, actually, you know, formal leadership started, I guess you could say, on January 9th, 1983. Uh, we had made a commitment. We were college students. Uh, I was, had just turned 20. We were both 20. And we had only been married for about four or five months. And we said, hey, first of the year, school's crazy, but let's get rooted in a church. So we kind of decided on a new church uh, as a married couple. So we were going to drive over from Santa Cruz, California to San Jose, California, which is over this little mountain called the Santa Cruz Mountains, Highway 17. And we went to this church. I was outvoted by uh, three people in the car because there was another couple that uh, moved in with us. We, we had this little tiny cottage. And I've told you before, maybe I told it two years ago, we, we had a cottage. It was 225 bucks a month for our cottage on a Christian conference ground. And this place was very, very small. Uh, I'm not joking. You could sit on the toilet and cook pancakes. You could sit on the toilet and with the right spatula, flip a pancake from the toilet. Um, so just get that in your mind. Just get that in your mind for a minute. It was very small, and but it was overpriced at 225. So we had another couple move in with us. We each paid 11250. He was six foot seven. Uh, I'm six four, and we were both newly married. They got married about a month before us, so we're both married less than six months. Uh, it had little two rooms, but there was some beads in between the rooms, so that was positive. Um, let's just say it was a crazy li life there. It was godly, but it was a little bit a little bit shaky there for a while. And we were on our way to church. We all loved the Lord, and we got into um, Karen's car, because when I married Karen, I married her for her car. She had a Celica, because um, <clears throat> she didn't marry me for my car, because I didn't have one. So we definitely got married because of Karen's car. It had a, a radio. So it was very nice. It was, it was tricked out uh, with a radio. And so it had air conditioning, and we drove in that little car, the four of us. And <clears throat> we were going to another church, and we ended up on the top of Highway 17. Someone said, let's go to Bethel Church of San Jose. Pastor Rick Cole is the new youth pastor, and Pastor Rick Cole's dad, Glenn Cole, was the pastor in Sacramento, where this other couple was from and where Karen was from. I knew of uh, Glenn Cole, but I wanted to go to Cathedral of Faith, where Pastor Kenny Foreman was, and they had this big gospel choir at Cathedral of Faith. 
So we voted on the top of Highway 17. It was three to one. This week we're going to Bethel, and next week we'll go to Cathedral of Faith. That was the plan. So we get to Bethel Church. I've never been to this church. This little pastor man's up there. He's just spitting fire, man. He's just spitting fire. This guy could preach. Named Charles Crabtree, little guy, about three foot tall. And uh, just absolutely fiery. And I was inspired going, man, that little guy can can spit and he can preach. And he had no notes. And I was fascinated by it. He just has a little pocket Bible and he was just, just you know, ripping it. And I go, how's he doing that with no notes? That's crazy. And so I was more interested in that. And we went then to Sunday school uh, in between or before service, young Mary's class. And then we stayed for church. And then the youth pastor who was there, Rick Cole, knew Karen and knew Tom and Penny. So they invited us over to their house uh, for lunch, which was basically free meat. It was Kentucky Fried Chicken on them. It was free meat. And when you're in college and you would go six or seven days without meat because uh, um, we were off the food plan because she was making, you know, maybe uh, 400 bucks a month at Home Savings of America working as a little bank teller. And I was working at the school in the caf- cafeteria. We were just scraping by. And so we got a chance for free meat. We're taking the offer. So we go to the house uh, to watch the NFL playoffs. The Oakland Raiders were playing the New York Jets January 9th, 1983. We watched the game, ate chicken. And he said, hey, listen, what are your plans? I said, I'm, I'm going to go to San Francisco when I'm graduate. I, I'm, I've been helping out with a church on the streets of San Francisco, Glad Tidings. And my friend Steve Wilson and I, we go up on the weekends and we do street witnessing in the Castro district and down in, um, at that time, Polk Street was a real epicenter of, of the gay community in San Francisco. There was a lot of runaway students or kids, not students, runaway kids in the Polk district. This is right before AIDS. I mean, literally the first trace of AIDS was being reported that, that summer that we were doing this. And then we go into the Castro area, which was kind of the political epicenter. And I just really felt a calling, man, to San Francisco, to the city. And so we were headed there. And he said, hey, have you ever thought about working with junior high students? And I said, well, you know, I, I basically am one. I'm only 20 uh, myself. And he said, it just so happens our junior high pastor and his wife left last Friday and Pastor Crabtree wants to find a young couple from Bethany and you're a young couple from Bethany. Bing, bing, bing. You walk through the door the day that they were looking for a young married couple. So after we uh, loaded up on free meat and then we went watch the NFL game, we went back to our little cottage where you could sit in the toilet and cook pancakes uh, with the other six foot seven guy. And we were there and I got a phone call saying, hey, next Sunday, can you come back to church here? And we went back to church there. And he said, Pastor Crabtree wants to take you to lunch. The big dude, the big guy wants to take me to lunch. Uh, you, Pastor Crabtree, what's going on? So I, I didn't go back to Cathedral of Faith that Sunday. And I have to confess to this day, I've still never been to Cathedral of Faith. Never made it there. Uh, that afternoon, they took me to lunch, Karen and I. And they asked us a couple questions in this busy uh, restaurant. All these high-impact deacons and elders were having lunch. And I'm just this little guy. And again, it was, again, free meat, man. Uh, uh, for the second Sunday in a row, they bought lunch. And they invited us then back that night. David Wilkerson, this famous evangelist, was preaching that night. And then they had a board meeting. And Karen and I found ourselves sitting in a board meeting. We thought this was volunteer. We thought it was a volunteer, like, okay, we were gonna volu- we're gonna, they're going to give us a chance to teach Sunday school at Bethel Church of San Jose to a bunch of raggedy old J hires, junior hires. And we walk into this meeting, and we didn't know what we were doing. We're scared spitless. I don't come, didn't come from anything like this in my life. 
And I must have said the right things the right way. And, and of course, Karen is there, so she was the great offset. You know, uh, he must not be a, a total idiot because he got married her. Um, and so they said, we want you to be the part-time junior high pastor. We're going to pay you $800 a month. Now, I was making 300 bucks a month slopping garbage uh, for pig farmers who picked up the, the food from us in the back of the cafeteria at the Bible college. I prepared it for the pig farmers for three bucks an hour and 800 bucks a month? Are you serious? Waves of wealth just shot through my being. Wealth, wealth, wealth. They just, I, I just, <gasps> breathing in money. 800 bucks a month? I thought I was, I didn't know I was going to get paid. I thought you were going to give me the J High Sunday school class. And they said, then we're going to give you a $100 gas allowance. I had another 100 bucks on top of that. I'm already wealthy. I get another 100 bucks for gas? Sitting in that room was an individual that represents 1 Chronicles chapter 12. There's about 12 board members at this church. One guy kind of stuck out because he wore blue jeans and he had kind of just this plain old buttoned up shirt. He had a weird, funky uh, hairdo that was permed. Because back in the 80s, we all curled our hair. I did it too. I'll show you a picture someday. I permed my hair, man. It was huge. It was the look. Don't mock it. It's coming back in your lifetime. You watch, you watch, you watch. Maybe not. Uh, so I permed my hair. But this guy had a perm that was impressive. I was actually impressed with his perm. And after we're done, come to find out he had a kid in the junior high department. And he pulled me aside and he said, hey, my wife and I uh, will be there to help out in your Sunday school class Sunday. Is that okay? And it was the greatest understatement in the history of the world at that point in time. I had no idea who was in the room. I had no idea who was talking to me. I had no idea at 20 years old who was leaning into my life. I want to share with you a very simple Bible study called a life. I want your life story. If I had to really capture my life story, it's been a journey of heroes and helpers in my life. I want to show you what heroes and helpers actually look like, how they start to form at the very beginning of your leadership story, your ministry story, whatever place God has for you. This, this power to convene is as important as the power to express you got gifts and talents. You can sing, preach, do all kinds of crazy things for the kingdom of God. But the real competency is the power to convene and the power to attract people in your life that have twice the competency of you. And what it does, it builds a early momentum. I want to show you a picture of how this worked in David's life out of 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Joe and Sherry came to that first Sunday school class. I had 50 junior hires, and I, I didn't... I, I didn't know what to preach. I just yelled at him, don't smoke, you know, and uh, don't burn the church down. And, and uh, it, it took off, man. It grew to 100 kids, and it grew to 125 kids. We had a big junior high youth choir, and it was just it was a blast that first year. But what happened was Joe Elston came up to me on the third week. He said, hey, you want to get together and pray? And I said, well, no. I mean, you're not going to say no to that. So, yeah, sure. What did I just commit to? Um, and he said, you want to get together at 6? And I've told you the story. I, I, I said, 6, that's during dinner. He said, no, in the morning. Okay. Uh, what did I just commit to? So he came. I was 20 years old. He was 38, knocked on my door. We read Proverbs together that next morning. Karen stayed upstairs. We didn't have kids. 
And you know, we made a little pot of coffee, a little bit of U-Ban coffee. You don't, you haven't drank coffee till you drank U-Ban uh, back in the day. Google it. Uh, um, it 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 was it was just bad coffee. But we sat there drinking bad coffee, reading the book of Proverbs, praying back and forth, kind of popcorn prayer, praying for students, praying for each other. It went so well. Seven o'clock came in the blink of an eye. I said, "Hey, I, I drive by. You want to go tomorrow?" Came the next day. We did it for five days. I'd never gotten up five days in a row in my life to read my Bible like that. And he then said, hey, um, you want to keep doing this? And so we kept doing it and we kept doing it and kept doing it. And we spent about 18 years doing that. Uh, we were together seven years there and 11 more years when I was pastoring. He passed away uh, at age 66, but his name was Joe Elston. You've never met him, but I spent 18 years of my formative life most mornings, I'm sure we took 100 days off in that 18-year period in there for vacations or whatever, but most days for 18 years between Elk Grove and San Jose getting up, and, uh, he would come to my house. And he is exactly what this chapter describes. Let's read here, chapter 12. Now, this is chuck full of crazy names. You ever want to embarrass somebody or get back at somebody who thinks they're super spiritual? Say, hey, would you mind standing up? Can you read First Chronicles chapter 12 publicly for us? And uh, then just watch them kind of wet themselves trying to figure out all these names. Uh, so I'm going to kind of go over the names because it would take a long time. I'm going to draw out just, it's just several traits here. This is going to go super quick. Um, traits of this first army of heroes and helpers that came into King David's life. Now at this point, David is still living what I call the outlaw life. Uh, he's a fugitive. It's really a paradox. He's anointed king. He didn't know actually when does your leadership actually begin. There was moments of anointing. There was moments of prophetic words. There were moments where the uh, kingdom was established and, and geographically. But his leadership had kind of this, this amazing, not a rocky start, but this jump start in which it took a little bit of time for the heroes and the helpers to convene. It took a little bit of time for people to recognize what was on his life. And it's going to take some time for people maybe to recognize what is on his or her's life in this room. And it may take a little bit of time for the heroes and helpers in your life to start to form and join together. But I love how these heroes and helpers are described. It says, now these are the ones who came to David at Ziklag. This was kind of a temporary space a hideaway, uh, some scholars believe about a 16 month uh, stay in Ziklag, and people began to convene around David as his leadership and as his kingship is emerging and becoming more and more established. It says they were among, uh, because of Saul, the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men who helped him in war. Go down to verse, man, I can hardly see up here. Is there a light that can help an old man up here? Like, just shine that anointed bright light right here? Guess not. Here we go. It says here, verse 2, They were equipped with bows, using both the right hand and the left hand to sling stones and to shoot arrows uh, from the bow. So they were these right-handed and left-handed people. No, no, one person that was ambidextrous. There was, what, 700 people that could use both hands. To shoot an arrow or sling a stone. Now, the left-hander has always been intriguing. Back in Judges, it talked about these left-handers. It talks about the left-hander. I think it's Judges uh, chapter 6, verse 20. Don't quote me. About the left-hander being able to sling a, a rock and be able to split a hair. They were so accurate, almost like shooting a gun, they were able to sling a stone. 
these left-handers were amazing. Here you had this ambidextrous group of individuals. The Lord began to bring this coalition of leaders that had no natural restrictions in their life. Now, when you're early on, it says that David was restricted in verse one. He was still in Ziklag. He was in a restricted place. And God began to bring people without any natural restrictions to begin to give his life what he could not give himself in the earliest days. I know we've grown up in a tremendous movement of the dream movement and the individual and God's given me a dream and I'm going to do this. And it's really about my gifts. We kind of envision ourselves doing something that's passionate and powerful and meaningful in this society for the kingdom. We don't really see ourselves on a team. We want to be in a community, but we don't really see ourselves naturally at the beginning with the full formation of this community or team that God has for our lives. I didn't see Joe Wellston coming. I didn't go to that meeting that night going, the most significant person in my life is going to be in this room tonight. I didn't know that. And then God began to draw people because I was in a restricted place at 20. But God began to bring me these ambidextrous leaders, individuals who could sling it with the left hand or the right hand, who could shoot it with either hand. Be ready as you begin to emerge in your leadership and in your ministry in service to this world. Understand at the beginning, we're all bound somewhat in a restricted space by our own maturity trajectory, by limitation of resource, by people's perceptions. We're in a restricted, a restricted space. And God brought some people without any natural restrictions. The left-hander and the right-hander all in one person. Very, very powerful. Verse four talks about a Gibeonite. It's a very difficult pronunciation of this Hebrew name, Ishmaea. I, I, I probably hammered it. Um, the Gibeonite, a mighty man among the 30 and over the 30. It's interesting that this man is not named in the next catalog of David's mightiest of men because many believe that he passed away somewhere between this acknowledgement and then the future categorizing of the mightiest of men. The Bible says that this man showed up and he was a sudden, what I call a sudden leader who was fitted to the moment. This guy was among the 30 and was over the 30. I found out in my life when I was in the early momentum stages of my leadership life, which I didn't even know what it was going to momentum toward. I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't see this. I didn't see you. I didn't see this place in my life. I was just responding and living available and welcoming those powerful, naturally unrestricted leaders into my life without jealousy and apprehension. Even though I was in a restricted space, God brought me unrestricted people who could sling it with the right hand and sling it with the left. And I probably couldn't sling it with anything at that point in time. Then this other leader emerges. One that's a sudden leader, fitted to the moment, not just the times. Where'd this leader come from? God began to emerge this person. I could tell story after story of leaders who stepped into my life as a hero and a helper. Fitted to the moment. <coughs> they almost showed up like an angel and disappeared as such in my life. But you see God working on behalf of David. 
as this leadership is evolving and emerging, this servant's heart, this king, it's not a clean start is what I'm telling everybody in this room. It's almost like this, this sputtering of events and this coalition that starts to form. Look for the heroes and the helpers early on in your life. People who are naturally gifted with both the right and the left hand. People who emerge out of nowhere as leaders of the 30. Then it goes on to say, not only were there sudden leaders fitted for the moment. I love this. Verse 8. It says, from the Gadites there came over to David in the stronghold in the wilderness mighty men of valor. Men trained for war. I'll come back to the word valor in a moment. Who could handle shield and spear. Was there strength? The shield and the spear? It wasn't that, friends. It's the next line. And whose faces were like the faces of lions. And they were swift as gazelles. There there was this physical trait of being swift. There was a professional trait of the shield and the spear. But what made these leaders mighty, these heroes and helpers that began to form the early mojo in David's life that didn't have a formal, clean, I'm not a leader today, I'm walking through a door, now I'm a It's not going to work that way. It's not going to work that way. It has spurts and stutters and delays and things begin to form and you begin to meet people and people begin to meet you. And either you're going to be jealous of their natural unrestricted gifts and insecure or you're going to welcome and recognize that God is putting people in my life as a hero and a helper in order to bring me to God's appointment for my life. And so here these Gadites show up, shield and spear, swift as a gazelle, but the characteristic was their countenance. Their faces were like lions. I'd never seen a lion look away. I had an odd dream the other night about a lion. I'm still trying to interpret it prophetically, but I've never been that close to a full-grown lion that could take your head off but it was very real in my dream. The lion was sleeping, had a large mane, and it was ferocious. And I was in a small room, and the lion was laying away from me. I was kind of toward the rear end of the lion, and the lion was right, like it's right there on this large couch or this bench, a massive full-grown lion. Others were in the room, and they were staying behind the lion. There was a small group of people that were in front of the lion's face, staring right into the lion's eyes. And I said, what's the difference with these two groups of people here? This is odd. This, it was a very odd dream. I don't have weird dreams. I, I have weird dreams. But they're not prophetic like that. I don't know. Maybe they are. I just don't tell them publicly. Um, but this, this was so spiritual. I told Karen about it. I said, I had this dream about a lion last night. And I saw these people that were terrified of the lion's reaction. That's why they were trying to stay out of its eyesight. But I knew the lion was the Lord. I knew it represented the ferociousness of God's holiness, his power, regal strength. It was unlike anything in the room. And I felt was an angel or an oppression whispered to me, never, ever make this lion earthly. 
You've made the lion earthly. And you're treating it as an earthly being. And that's why these people are behind it. I saw a television playing an old NBA playoff game. And maybe that was just for me. And I felt the Lord say, you can't be in the presence of two things in this room. I want you to go in front of the lion and I want you to look into the lion's eyes and trust the lion. And don't try to live behind the lion. Don't try to live outside the lion. Don't try to live invisible to the lion. I want you to let the lion notice you. And I saw this cluster of people. They were believers that were strong. Their conscience was clear. Their faith was mighty. And they were looking right. And the lion was awake. And they were looking right into the lion's eyes. They weren't trying to live out of the lion's eyesight. Because they knew that if they scared the lion from behind, the lion would turn, roar, and take them. Get in front of his face. I, I don't know all the meaning of this. But I had a dream about a lion. And when I read this. This week, I've read it before. I have it marked in my Bible. This countenance of power and certainty that the Lord brought into my life. We're talking about heroes and helpers that reflect these kingdom traits. God is going to bring people who can sling it with the left hand and sling it with the right. People without restriction. Leaders that are just better at it than you. Even though you are restricted, it says it. He surrounds you with those who are unrestricted. And that collision doesn't supplant the purposes that God has for your life. There's no need to be afraid or insecure of yourself and who God made you to be and called you forward to be. But he's going to bring these people. He's going to bring leaders out of nowhere that suddenly become among the 30, the leader of the 30. Who this, where does this guy come from? Where's this woman come from? They're providing leadership in my life. And then he's going to bring heroes and helpers. Look for them that have the countenance of a lion. People that simply are not afraid. They don't speak apprehension into your life. They speak wisdom, but not apprehension. They speak to you in such a way that you want to put your ankles into the Jordan River with no guarantees. Not living a reckless life that's void of wisdom, but that life of faith that comes from the countenance of the lion. It's not just the shield and the spear because there's a lot of people, the Ephraimites in the Bible were equipped. Psalm 78 tells us with the, with the arrow and the bow, yet they turned back in the day of battle because they did not have the thing in the heart that shone through the face. Their face was like a lion. I look for the leaders and the helpers and God brought me people in my life who were not afraid of the devil or the times in which they were living. They were not afraid to take massive steps of faith without any resources for the kingdom of God. I was around that kind of community and faith in my 20s when all this stuff was getting formed. And I pray today that I can be somebody in someone's life that may feel young and new in their calling and feel restricted and not yet fully emerged. I want to be able to sling it with my left and sling it with my right, come around them to help them. I want to be able to emerge maybe as a sudden leader in their life, an encourager in their life, who has a face that shines like a lion, man, because I'm not 
afraid of the devil, and I'm not afraid of the future, and I'm not afraid of you. Because sometimes you're far more frightening than the devil. You're far more frightening than the future. You know, people our age, we love the adoration of young people. We'll sell our souls to make young people like us. I'm seeing it all over the United States because I see pastors and preachers who won't tell you the truth. They won't tell you the truth because they're afraid you're walking out the door, smoke them on social media, cancel, whatever it is, whatever phrase we use. And so now you're left to yourself and you've cut the pipeline of eldership in your life and it's a very vicious cycle that, the, that Satan has sown. We're almost done here. Now watch this. I don't want to live off your adoration because remember Eli in the Bible, the great priest, Hophni and Phinehas, his, his boys, these boys were a joke. They were positioned in leadership in Israel. And the Bible says that they were just living the privileged life, man. They were just feasting. They were sleeping with all the women and they, they and their dad was a priest. And they were taking all of the best food for themselves. They'd stick their fork into the pot and take out the choice meat that was reserved for either an offering or for the people. And they'd stuff their face with it. The Bible says that Eli, he was afraid to confront his sons. It's, it's crazy. It says, that, it says that the dad said, hey, boys, word throughout Israel about you is not good but he still would not confront him. Do you know how that father died? That father sat up on a, 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 a wall, had gained so much weight himself that he fell backwards and his neck broke under the weight of his own gluttony. Now watch this. Sometimes we talk about the sins of the fathers being passed to the sons. But in this case, the sins of the sons overtook the father. The sins of the sons was gluttony. And the father was afraid of those boys. Presidents can be afraid of students. Teachers can be afraid of students. Deans can be afraid of students. And we allow ourselves to be afraid the sins of the sons overtook the father, not the sins of the father overtaking the sons. We have to be very attuned and we have to let our faces shine like lions courageously. Let me give you two more. We're done here. It's awful quiet in here, man. It's like you got your mask over your vocal cords. Hopefully it's because you're thinking. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Almost done. So, so in verse, I mentioned in verse 8, the, the face like a lion. Let's go down to verse 17. David uh, went out uh, to them and he said, if you come peacefully, so this group of the sons of Benjamin came, worship team come. Uh, this group of the sons of Benjamin came to meet him. He said, if you come peacefully to me to help me, my heart shall be united with you. But if you have come to betray me to one of my adversaries, uh, since there is no wrong in my hands, May the God of our fathers look on it and decide. This is a powerful verse of scripture. David is basically seeing this coalition of heroes and helpers join. This group of Benjamites now come. 
People with lion faces, people that are left-handers and right-handers all in one person. This unbelievable coalition. And now this group comes from Benjamin. He doesn't know them. He says, hey, listen, you betray me. Now, if you're loyal to me, um, then we're cool. You betray me to my adversaries. Then he says this. There's nothing evil in my hand. God will decide. Now, why is that important? You see the purity of David's heart here in this text that he gives his, even his potential betrayers and enemies, I'll let God decide. David could have said, I'll slay you. I'll destroy you. David doesn't say that he would destroy the betrayers. He says, God will decide. This is leadership without ego. This is one of the most powerful, most attractional kinds of young leadership that brings stellar men and women of valor. And the Bible says that he promoted them. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. Verse 18, then David received them and made them captains in the land. So there was an accelerated leadership that you can see in the text. People being promoted quickly, being received quickly, grafted quickly because their hearts were right. All of this is the early momentum of heroes and helpers. Let's wrap this thing up. Accelerated leadership. Then some defectors came from Manasseh, verse 19. Some defectors from Saul. And the Bible says that David brought them in. And the point is, David had room at the table. Always had room at the table for new leaders. Always had room at the table for that coalition to grow. We could deep dive in here. We'll just kind of stop there. It says that these were all people of valor. The word valor there means people of efficiency and resource. It literally means it's a word for wealth. This guy who was restricted, all of this mojo happens to him. People with incredible gifts, incredible courage, incredible loyalty start emerging around David to help bring him into his assignment. What's the takeaway? Just get ready. Get ready. There's not this formal thing. You're going to get a degree and then, yes, a new phase of life. But this emergence into kingdom leadership is filled with pause, jumpstart, fireworks, mud. It just kind of but God is bringing the heroes and the helpers, I promise you, that you're going to need to go from this point forward. Don't do it alone. Let's all stand together, friends. Jesus, we love you today, and we thank you today, God, for your goodness in this room. Father, we pray today that our story would be like David's, God. When we look back on the testimony of our life, we can point to these divine relationships, Lord, that came to us in times least expected, God, where we feel under maybe house arrest and restricted, Lord, and bound by perceptions and maybe legitimate conditions, Lord, that have hemmed us in, God, you will begin to bring people, Lord, in your kingdom into our life from every direction, God. Help us to be attuned to them, receiving of them, welcoming to them, God. Lord, I can't wait to see what you do with the men and women in this room. We just give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'm glad you came to Wednesday Chapel today. Very good. Thank you. For... 
All right, guys, we got a big week ahead. Hey, I think next week, Sean Smith is here for two days. Uh, we got a couple great chapels this week, but Sean Smith is here next Tuesday and Wednesday. God bless you guys, man. Stay on top of your work and your hearts. God bless you.